Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he then appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. Of first importance, Christ died for our sins, was buried and was raised to victorious life. There is nothing more important that we understand in this life than that. Of first importance, Christ died for our sins. Paul went on to write, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits to those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. I can only imagine, you know, when, when you, I don't know, I wish we had a trumpet up here and let it rip. You'd be like, whoa! Um, can only imagine what this trumpet call of God is going to be like when Jesus returns. There won't be anybody who's still asleep. He'll be woken. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Forever. We are so encouraged by these words. Jesus died for our sins, was buried and then raised on the third day. That very first Easter Sunday was so good, so good, because Saturday, Friday was so sad. But Saturday was so bad. You see, the enemies of Christ were confident that they had put an end an absolute end to this movement that was happening at the time. Jesus' work was now a total failure in their eyes, in their mind. On Saturday, Jesus was in the grave. His life was over. His, his voice had now been silenced. His miracles were finished. It's all done and dusted. There'd be no more following this fellow anymore, would there? Nobody following Jesus, the troublemaker. The only recorded activity that we have in scripture of the Saturday, what occurs on the Saturday, was by the Pharisees. Determined to rid themselves of Jesus, they were also determined to silence the disciples from anything that they might come up with, any rumours that they might seek to spread. And so they went to Pilate and they said, Sir, since we, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, 
After three days, I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, the disciples may come and steal the body and they'll tell people that he's been raised from the dead. Well, this last deception would be worse than the first. The disciples, however, they're not that proactive and they're not that deceptive. The disciples, you think about them on the Saturday, they're in meltdown. They'd scattered and now they were in hiding, probably fearful for their own lives. Saturday was a day of no courage, no hope. It seems that their grief was so great that none of them recalled the words that Jesus had said that the Pharisees remembered that he would rise again on the third day. It seems they'd forgotten about that. None of them were looking forward to Sunday morning and keen to go to the tomb early on the Sunday morning to see if Jesus was arisen. It was, however, some of the women who were first to go to the tomb, believing it's still to be sealed shut, hoping to complete the embalming process of Jesus' body. Mark records, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who's going to roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? There's no victory in the faces or the hearts of these women. There's no victory in the faces or the hearts of his disciples. It may have been Sunday morning, but they're still stuck in the hopelessness of Saturday. I wonder, do you ever feel like your world is stuck in Saturday? You ever feel like you just can't find anything good? Every day is a rainy day, the sky is grey, there's no silver lining, the story always has an unhappy ending. There's just no more courage, no hope, no reason to be positive. You feel like your world is stuck in Saturday. Of course, the good news is the Easter story gives us this promise. Death is not a dead end. It's simply an exit ramp from this life into the best life. Into the best life. You see, faith in Jesus, death paying the price for our sin, moves us out of the Saturday mentality into a Sunday state of mind. He'll take us from a a Saturday where death has been defeated, death has defeated life rather, into Sunday where life has defeated death. Life has now defeated death. He moves us from the last day of death into the first day of life. From John 20, and Nathan was sharing some of this before, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot, And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
And she said, they've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they've put him. Nothing is more important to Mary at this point. She doesn't ask, what are you two doing in here and who are you? What, what, what's going on? They've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. This is Mary Magdalene, Mary who had suffered great torment in a previous life, being afflicted by seven evil spirits. Mary, who everybody avoided as she was so weird, so difficult, so angry. She even treated people poorly, abusive at times until Jesus delivered her from these demons. Jesus was the one who had saved her. Jesus was the one who who she had come to love as a result, the one who had transformed her, the one who had taken her life from bitterness and chaos and to joy and peace. And when she came to the tomb and found that the body was gone, Jesus' body was gone, that the stone was rolled away, her distress is heightened even more. They've taken my Lord away. Where have they put him? There are times in life when despair is so deep and sadness is so thick and the walls are so high that we feel we just can't get out. That can happen for us. There are times in life when we feel like the world is just closing in on us. We feel as if anything bad is going to happen and it's going to happen to me. Where are you, God? Don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you care? And so what does Jesus do? Verse 14. At this she turned around, she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise it was Jesus. She thought it was the gardener. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? She'd already been asked that question, but asked a second time, woman, why are you crying? Jesus knows that she is grief-stricken. He doesn't tell her to pull herself together, to harden up, to, to get over it. He comes to her like a shepherd And he tries to lead her, to walk her through the journey with her. He says, why are you crying? Talk to me. Pour out your heart to me. Tell me what's going on. He's patient, he's caring, he's compassionate. He's he's one with the Father. He has the Father's heart of compassion. The prophet Micah asks, who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. Well, these words apply to us. Jesus will have compassion, does have compassion upon us, upon you. 
no matter what your struggle or trouble may be. And he wants you to offload to him, to talk to him, to tell him all about it, pour out your heart. The devil, however, wants you to cope on your own, under your own strength, under your own wisdom. He doesn't want you trusting in Jesus to be with you, to be your strength, to be your refuge. He tells you that life is so tough for you that you must have done something to really upset God and you're getting just what you deserve. But God delights in showing mercy, delights in showing mercy. He's patient, he's kind, he is compassionate. We, however, are not so patient with God. We make demands upon God. We want God to hurry up, to get on with it, to help us, to take away the pain. For seasons come, seasons go. Troubles come, troubles go. This too will come to pass. Notice again what Mary had said. They have taken my Lord away. We might feel at times as though the Lord has deserted us. That he's somehow been taken away. That he's deserted us. Where are you, God? Don't you see what I'm going through and don't you care? But again, this is a lie from the evil one. We need to echo the words of Paul at times like this. I'm convinced, absolutely convinced. And notice the the conviction and the power in these words. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think Paul was saying that with power, not nothing is either able to convict it. He's convinced and we need to be convinced and declare that when we're going through times like this. Mary still refers to Jesus as her Lord. She's devoted to her Lord. She's prepared to attend to Jesus' body, her Lord, should the gardener reveal where he might be. Where have you put him, gardener? I'm prepared to do what I need to do for my Lord. Sometimes it's not easy to call upon the Lord when we're in the midst of the struggle, when we're moving through the Saturdays of life. However, to do so reminds ourselves that we're still trusting in the Lord, even in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the struggle. And it's her devotion that so touches Jesus that he says, Mary. Her devotion in her Lord, I believe, leads Jesus to say, Mary, that's me. When he calls her name, she falls to her feet. She knows that this is her beloved Lord. And what a transformation takes place in her heart. There's a day that's drawing close, closer every day 
And we don't know just how close it is, but the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. For those of us who are devoted to God, to following Jesus, there ain't no grave that's ever going to hold us down. Hallelujah. We will hear the Lord call our name and we will come home. 